This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. I'm Trish. And I'm Will. And we're going to talk about The Tempest by William Shakespeare. Not Willie Shakes, Scott. How dare you? Um, this is first uh, performed, perhaps, uh, on Hollow Mass, uh, uh, 1611, for, for uh, I think, a royal wedding. Um, Hollow Mass is uh, the Day of the Dead, November 1st. And um, it's one of Shakespeare's last plays, if not his last play, which I think is interesting. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to think about, um, you know, if if he really thought this was going to be the last play he ever wrote. Mm. I mean, does a person ever think that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I've certainly seen commentary about how, you know, uh, Prospero's speech at the end uh, could well be read as Shakespeare's self-insertion. Goodbye to all that. Well, mm-hmm. I want to, yeah. since you just mentioned it, and since... We're doing a short show today. <laughs> I'll just start with that. Only okay? two hours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. Spoken by Prospero, the epilogue. Um, the person who wrote the notes in this book, hilarious again. Um, they, they said the conventional thing uh, beside this speech, ready to give up magic. Now, that is the conventional view of this ending, right? Um, it reads like this. Now my charms are all o'erthrown. And what strength I have mine's own, which is most faint. Now tis true, I must be here confined by you. Or sent to Naples, let me not, since I have my dukedom got, and pardon the deceiver dwell in this bare island by your spell. But release me from my bands with the help of your good hands. Gentle breath of yours, my sails, must fill or else my project fails, which was to please. Now I want... Spirits to, oh, yeah, I want spirits to enforce art to enchant. And my ending is despair unless I be relieved by prayer, which pierces so that it assaults mercy itself and frees all faults. As you from crimes would pardoned be, let your indulgence set me free. So that's the traditional view. Uh, Prospero is ready to give up magic. I was going to say Shakespeare is ready to give up magic. Um, but uh, that's not what it reminds me of all. Of at all. Although I, I see why people say that. Uh, Scott, did you ever perform this play? Because you're uh, an no, actor. No, I've, I've never performed Shakespeare. I've I've read it in a group though with mm-hmm. other actors. That's mm-hmm. always fun. Yeah, but I've never performed Shakespeare. No, no, no Shakespeare at all. No, interesting. Yeah, I, I did community theater. I haven't done it for a while, but I was never like in an acting troupe or something like that. I mean, in a small town in Idaho, uh, we weren't doing Shakespeare. Oh, well, we, I, you were doing stuff. We were doing like Broadway musicals and uh. um, and just uh, I don't know. You call them light comedy plays. Mm. Um, Pride and Prejudice. I remember. I mean, I, I directed that one. Okay. Things like that. But we never did Shakespeare. Yeah, I, I, my main experience with the theater is going to see Shakespeare. Yeah, that's interesting. 
most of the things I've seen are not Shakespeare. Um, we have a great, a really great Shakespeare festival here in Utah, all the way down in southern Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, they've even got a, a theater down there that looks like the, oh, what's it called? The one that Shakespeare used to. The, it's, the Globe. It's in, the Globe, that's it. They've got like a replica down there. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, this year at the university, they're doing Julius Caesar. So I'll go see that. So I've seen a lot of Shakespeare on stage. Mm-hmm. But um, I've never been in one. Well, what, what do y'all make of this ending? Is that what is just ready to give up magic? Is that that all we got? Well, he's uh, like, yeah. I bet he's like, well, I've been bad, but you should forgive me because you like are bad too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Like, I just think Prospero is a bad man. That's just my read <laughs> on this play. Interesting. <laughs> and, like he, sorry, I don't know. Sorry, what what does the play mean, or what is the no this this epilogue, Um, right? Because in nor I I don't remember. I think there are other plays with epilogues, but not like this. I don't remember them being like this. Yeah, I think um, Prospero has accomplished everything that he set out to do. Uh, He has his daughter happily settled. He's made people acknowledge their faults and restore him to his position. Uh, And maybe just maybe he realizes that, you know, spending all his time studying magic and letting his brother, brother run things was uh, the thing that got him into trouble in the first place. Mm. And so he's giving up magic now. Um, And, you know, was he a good man originally? Um, I think Shakespeare had him as a good, if maybe originally oblivious person, but there are certainly valid interpretations of him him being at best an unreliable narrator and at worst uh, a rather harsh mastermind. He's a slaver. Terrible. (laughs) He's got two slaves. He's got multiple slaves in this story. Well, I mean, it, it was. He has a, one person. It, <clears throat> if, yes, you can read it that way. You could also read it as him having one person who is who he has is forcing to do penance for attempted rape, and another that he's forcing to pay off a debt of letting him free from a prison. <laughs> Indentured servitude for, for a period of time, right? Twelve yeah, years. I, I have a I have a book here called Shakespeare by Mark Van Doren mm-hmm. that I like. Um, he goes through. He writes about I don't know ten pages on every Shakespeare play, and it's back in the fifties, I think. Um, well, actually, nineteen thirty nine. But um, I thought this was really interesting. Um, you know, as as you talk about interpretation, it says one interpretation of the Tempest does not agree with another. Mm. And there is deeper trouble in the truth that any interpretation, either even the wildest, is more or less plausible. This deep trouble and this deep truth should warn us that the Tempest is a composition about which we had better not be too knowing. Mm. If it is one of Shakespeare's successes, and it obviously it is, it will not yield its secret easily or it has no secret to yield. That's uh, almost identical to, I mean, that's much more concise than this giant introduction in my book. I'm trying to figure <laughs> uh-huh. out who even wrote the introduction. but yeah. um, I think one of the best things about this play is that it is open to so many interpretations mm. and reinterpretations and restagings. I watched this week 
I either watched or listened to, uh, I think it was five versions of The Tempest and two academic, you know, hour long podcasts about it. And I never got bored. It is that (laughs) rich. Mm -hmm. It is that layered. It is that interesting. Do you have, uh, out of all the ones that you saw, do you have a favorite? The favorite that I saw was The Tempest 2010, directed ah. by Julie Tamer with Helen, Helen Mirren as yeah. Prospera. Ah, Prospera. if you, if you okay, like cool. that one, um, you should try the Canadian one that's uh, also gender-flipped with Prospero. Um, it's on Netflix. Uh, not Netflix. It's on Prime. I was watching that, and um, it's it's more highly rated than the, the uh, Helen Mirren one, but it mm-hmm. has the same gender flip. And it... Um, I haven't seen the Helen Mirren one, but this one was a stage production at Stratford in Ontario. Right. This her. one, mine, the 2010 was a definite movie with mm. special effects that I really quite liked for Ariel mainly. Mm. Oh, that's cool. I, uh, I just wanted to mention too here at the beginning that um, I was the one who suggested that we do this. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did is because Joe Walton's latest book is called, or what you will. And um, I have been told that it's to to know uh, the Tempest and to know as you like it are would help me with this book. <laughs> so I'm a Joe Walton fan, but I, I when I saw that I said, okay, well I won't read it until I, I I get those plays under my belt. Just wanted to throw that out there. That's 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 uh, always a good reason to read a book as research or prep for another book. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to uh, I want to point to the lines here and see if if these remind you of some no, late 19th century play that became very famous. Uh, obviously this book is full of uh, it's a spark for every fire <laughs> all over the place in literature and the theater and uh, other thing, other media uh, but listen to this one and I was like, oh this is so obvious um, let me not, since I have my dukedom got and pardon the deceiver dwell in this bear Bear Island by your spell, but release me from my bands with the help of your good hands. Do you guys remember a famous 19th century play uh, that became a Disney movie and a cartoon and many other things as it has um, the audience uh, participation? Are you talking about Tinkerbell? Peter I am. Pan? I exactly am talking about Tinkerbell and Peter Pan, right? In the production. Well, it's a great device for getting the audience engaged. Yeah. <laughs> Tinkerbell will die unless you start clapping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's dying. The flood is going out. <laughs> right. <laughs> Vigorously audience participation. Um, Prospero, uh, my view on Prospero is that he's Shakespeare. Um, he is the creator of the play. He controls all the actions. He puts... He tells his stage director, uh, Ariel, mm-hmm. to put the characters in their places and says, did you do it right? Oh, all right. And then... Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, you definitely get that feeling that, um, you know, at the, at, at the very least, it's a metaphor for being a writer. Oh, yeah. Where he's, he's telling Ariel, I need you to do everything exactly as I say it, you know, and um, go do this, go do that, and... Um, I watched the, there was a BBC version. I can't remember what year it's from. I think it was 1980. Yeah, I saw um, that one. But, but yeah, he, uh, Ariel was always kind of just off, 
and and just ready to do whatever Prospero asked. And then he kept saying things like, you know, and you will be free. Mm-hmm. I will I will let you go when this is over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting too. And and he's not just talking to Ariel; he's also talking to the audience. Mm. Um, this is one of the weirdest poem uh, poems, uh, weirdest plays I've read by Shakespeare because I think it's all in real time. Yes, uh, in a certain sense, it's in real time. There's some reasons to think it's not, but um, he had the very one of the very first speeches. He talks about. Uh, I, maybe it's some guys on the island talk about how many hours have passed or what time it is, and they say it's like two, right? And then we have to, uh, Prospero says, we have to get this all done by six, right? Uh, so he's like on a time, he's he's like watching the time, we gotta get this uh, <laughs> this group out of the theater so we can get another group in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, he has Ariel in uh, most versions is putting people to sleep um, so that time can pass faster and then get to the next scene. Um, but uh, one of the things that's completely missing, um, I think, from every adaptation I've seen and also from the introduction, I was very surprised not to see it, um, is the comedy. Uh, this is not... Pl- they mention that it's a comedy, um, and obviously there's a technical term for you know, what a comedy is versus a tragedy or a history. But I'm talking about, like, this, the humor in the info dump scene at the beginning um, where Pro- Prospero is filling in the audience as to, you know, the backstory. And um, nobody, most of the time when they do adaptations, they either interpret the lines wrong. They have the actors interpret the lines wrong, I think. Or they... They cut them. Um, and what I'm talking about is, uh, it's an early speech where Prospero's explaining to Miranda how they got there, right? And it's mostly Prospero talking with Miranda, uh, making a few jokes that are, I, I think almost everybody gets, right? Like, um, Prospero says, 12 years since, Miranda, 12 years since, thy father was the Duke of Milan and a Prince of Power. Miranda says, sir, are you not my father? <laughs> uh, because uh, <laughs> she doesn't know who that is, right? The Duke of Milan. Thy mother was a piece of virtue. She said, thou wast my daughter, and thy father was the Duke of Milan, and thou his only heir, and princess no worse issued. So, again, Prospero considers her words and says, I don't think my wife would have lied to me. I'm, I'm your father. <laughs> So there's some humor there that most most of the time I think they get, but what they don't get is um, it starts with the the part where where Miranda says uh, Prospero says uh, do you mark me and Miranda says um, sir your speech would would relieve deafness right you guys all following this part oh here I've got it. Yeah, several times he stops himself and yes. asks her if she's paying attention. Yes. And she keeps saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've seen some versions where she is wrapped uh, and, you know, of course I'm paying attention. And some versions where her body language and where she has her eyes and stuff, obviously she's getting bored. Yes. So I guess it's actually, he's a, it's a long speech. And it is. he's actually asking the audience 
pay attention. Oh, yes. Me. That's exactly right. Um, but more importantly, she should be falling asleep. Um, so let's just do some of those lines here. Um, this is the, the first one, uh, from the end of, I don't know, end of one of Prospero's. It goes, and if executing the outward face of royalty with all prerogative, hence his ambitions growing, dost thou hear? Uh, Miranda says, your tale, sir, would cure deafness. So that's a bit of comedy where he's yelling at her, right? And she should, she should like, almost cover her ears as an actress i i mean these are there's no stage direction here but just the the point is she or uh, there's other there's so many things going on in here but when he keeps coming back and asking her are you paying attention um how much of this information does she retain later none she she's she doesn't she doesn't pay attention to any of this it's only for the audience it's filling in the backstory right so one of the one of the things i've 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 taught this play a lot because a lot of students have to do it in school and one of the things i've noticed is this is uh shakespeare as he's always very careful to do making sure the audience is with him at every point and so because he has to do this big info dump Right there is one character telling all the circumstances of all the preceding 12 years and also explaining, uh, with Ariel, the, um, where there's a different dynamic, how we all got to this point so that the next four hours can play out. And so she should be like, every time, um, he says, do you, dost thou pay attention? Her reaction will allow the people who are getting bored to say, yeah, I'm getting bored too. Right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I, th- I just think that's so important that it- Shakespeare is attentive to info dumps uh, being boring. <laughs> right? Which we all know from reading lots of science fiction. Uh, which this almost is. Right? It's It's a fantasy for sure. But the fact that you have to bring your audience up to speed, not about, you know, where Milan is or what the relationship between Naples and Milan is, but rather how all of these things, uh, could be possible. And, you know, he does it in other parts with other characters, but Prospero does a, a huge info dump at the beginning, right after the, uh, the mini fake storm. Yeah, yeah, we think of yes. as real and then becomes fake again. <laughs> right. Well, there are a lot of moving pieces to keep track of. I uh, the first couple times I had to keep going back and saying, okay, which one is Alonso and which mm-hmm. one is Antonio and who is whose brother? Um, yeah. So, uh, but I mean, this was this was one of Shakespeare's very last plays, if not the last. And you know, he's just a master of craftsmanship um you know with his structure and uh, including the you know the high drama and the low comedy <laughs> and uh the interweaving of everything um you know the reflected structure of the different plot assassination plots going on and um uh you know there's a very simple sweet love store 
love story at the core of it. Um, well, there are two love stories, Miranda and her father and Miranda and Ferdinand, but, and, and, but, you know, also Ferdinand's father loves him and stuff. So just this, there's just so much going on. And, um, I'm sure in a play, it's easier to keep track of who's who than it is in an yeah, audio. You know, book. you get, you get, you get, uh, the costumes, right? Right. Which, which help too. a lot. Mm hmm. Um, I, 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 I think there's a, a, a tendency to focus on Ariel. Um, you know, Ariel's important to a lot of the action that's happening on stage. But to me, the heart of the love story of this is Caliban. Caliban's the great, the greatest character in this, other than perhaps Prospero and, you know, that relationship with Ariel. And, you know, we, we've seen the Miranda. <laughs> The Miranda Ferdinand or whatever, whoever <laughs> she ends up with before. Um, they're just, you know, stock characters. She, she, her dynamics really fun, but, uh, I, I love Caliban's resentment. Um, it's certainly po- Caliban is a character that has, or at least professes to have the largest character arc in this. He goes from a rebellious slave to one who says that he sees his mistake in rebelling and, you know, worshiping a false master and he's going to be good now. So, you know, <laughs> he's at least professing to have had a great change in his heart and spirit. He He's also Gollum, right? Sure. I mean, Gollum is so much uh, Caliban and, and he, he's got this resentment. He's had something taken from him. His his culture is different from the others, but the comedy aspect where he you know he falls under his gabardine and uh, I mean that that is I'm maybe I'm the uh, the low class audience that just loves all the fart jokes and the drinking <laughs> jokes and stuff, but um, to me that 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 if if you were say you know casting yourself as you know you want the meatiest role. Uh, sure, Prospero has a lot of, uh, uh, great lines. And Miranda, you know, she, she gets to do some fawning eyes and there's, there's some other fun roles. Trunculo and all these guys, right? But Caliban is so, um, he, he steals the show in terms of, you know, stage presence and, and what he's got going, I think. I mean, not, not at the end where, you're saying oh, he's he's reformed, <laughs> but um, he's the one yeah, who gets all the makeup. I think that's a weakness in the play, like the end for Caliban. Um, uh, uh, is, is this play weak though? I don't think I don't. Yeah, no, I think that I think that is a weakness. Tell um, me, tell me why. Well, so I mean, so who is Caliban? You know, he's like a native person, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's what Caliban is, and. Uh, I mean, they even call him an Indian at one point. Um, and so yeah, you have they, this. They kind of they wanted to bring him back and show him off back at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, this is this is a native person that we can display for money. Right. Um, and, you know, he's this like slavish person. Um, I mean, he's certainly the sin like. At least, like, for me, like, and I'm with Jesse, like, Caliban is the character that I'm going to obsess over. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's just his way of rebelling is to, like, find somebody else to be slavish to. Yeah, it's a, it, it's he's fallen into the same trap, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, uh, um, 
he you was know, too trusting that, twice. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason that people vibe with Caliban, but I think uh, the story is the story's not friendly to Caliban in the way that uh, you know it could be. I'm sure it's been restaged to make Caliban more of like a central figure in some kind of way. Well, you should know yeah, that. There's a 1960 movie with a bunch of people I've never heard of and oh. Richard Burton as Caliban. Nice. Um, and so Richard Burton did not take Prospero's part, and I'm sure he could have taken any part that he wanted, uh, but he took Caliban. You would make a great Caliban. Okay, there are people I've heard of. Roddy McDowell is Ariel, um, and Lee Rimmick is Miranda. But obviously, Richard Burton was the, the huge star who could have had any part he wanted, and he didn't pick Prospero. He picked Caliban. Mm. But, like, this is, I mean, when I was describing this play to my significant other, it was just Prospero going around having slaves and, like, telling them to do things, and then... <laughs> You know, like the slaves like responding to that in different ways. Um, it was kind of what it felt like was going on a lot of the time. Uh, and you know, I, you know, I didn't like it. <laughs> it's well, interesting to consider how much of that was Shakespeare just blindly repeating what his culture was telling him, and how much he was making a commentary on <clears throat> on uh, the. Uh, uh, the mores of the time. I mean, um, in uh, uh, The Merchant of Venice, uh, they, Shylock is the villain. Uh, Shylock the Jew is a villain, but he has some really, really great sympathetic lines. Um, and and here, um, Caliban doesn't get so many sympathetic lines, except for just not liking being a slave. Um but uh, he gets a lot of know, the jokes. There, he get, he's given the he jokes, there but you're on right. The island. His mother had died. That it was their island, and Prospero came, and Prospero said he was kind at first, and you know treated treated uh, uh, Caliban kindly, and taught him language and stuff until Caliban tried to write for Mar- Miranda. But the fact is, you know. Prospero moved in. <laughs> he didn't ask permission. Uh, he just took the. And, I mean, for there's his also own. a commentary about white womanhood there, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what what do we say about like people we enslave and how they they treat women? Mm-hmm. You know, um, right, uh, right. It, it's a very stereotypical thing that the that the uh, local colonized person would want and and try to take by force white women it's it's a frequent justification for a harsh treatment of uh enslaved or colonized peoples because you know they are savage uh uh people who need the kindly uh elevating <laughs> structure of the colonists um uh so you know that's all it's really interesting to read the whole play through that lens, but you know how much of that Shakespeare intended is doubtful. I I would say we we understand Shakespeare pretty well. He he he's only interested in politics in terms of what they can do to produce drama. He he's hmm. not a political guy. Is he's got an agenda and he's grinding this axe and he's going to teach you all the stupid audience. 
exactly what you need to understand about how the world should be. Um, this book, which, uh, this play, which is, I mean, it's, it's got a, a mini utopia in it. Um, this is about, you know, coming to an island and what you can do there. And uh, there's a whole speech about, you know, how, how to improve it, go back to Milan and fix things, you know, uh, or even uh, Dido and, you know, the wedding over there and all that stuff. Shakespeare does never say, you know, I think uh, monarchy's a bad idea <laughs> or slavery's <laughs> a bad idea. He never, like, says, you know, uh, in Julius Caesar, he never says, you know, maybe we shouldn't have dictators. Maybe we should just, uh, you know, organize things differently. It's all, it's just about what the drama of the situation can deliver. So, I don't blame him for uh, not not being political there. On the other hand, I think that that weakness that, Will, you were pointing to is perhaps not there. Caliban ha- makes this mistake over and over again, right? You know, first time, he, he's, he's suckered by Prospero. Prospero gives him uh, water with berries in it. And literally pets him like a pet, right? Grooms him, gives him something yummy to drink, and then teaches him language. And then as a gratitude, Caliban shows him all the great things on the island, where the food is, where this place is safe, and all that stuff. And what does Prospero do? He says, thank you, servant. Right? He's treating him like a pet. And when Caliban wants to make more Calibans, and there's only one female on the island, this is an offense, like a black servant or a black slave in the s- southern states. And of course, this he's is Colon- getting above his station. Yeah, that's right. He's a pet. You don't, you can't make my daughter have babies. That's not your place. Rather, I will manipulate this guy who's a prince of Naples to make babies with my daughter. That's the proper <laughs> way to make my daughter have babies. Not your way, sir. And Miranda. Sarah. Sarah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Miranda is subject to his, his spells as well she, and his she's manipulation. She's sort of a slave in a different way. She is mm-hmm. in the way that many women are, uh, you know. Even, uh, the, the, ta- that's what I'm like. I love the taming of the shrew, but it, it's literally women need to be slapped around, right? It's it, a horror story, <laughs> right? It, it's an awesome story, but it is literally, um, you know, uh, it is, it is not saying, you know, women need to be liberated. It's rather liberated women need to know their place. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all done for comedy, not for, um, not for agenda, political agenda. He's not trying to stop something, right? And 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 so when we get that, um, I'm going to be good now. That'll be the third time because he does it uh, before the play starts. Caliban does right with um, with uh, Prospero, and then um, he has this comedic scene with um, uh, Tranquilo, I think. And, uh, Stefano, maybe. Stefano, yeah. Where he's, you know, four-legged beast and he gets drunk and they talk about more alcohol. He's never, I will feed your other mouth or drink, (laughs) right? And the lesser legs, all that stuff. And then, uh, there, those guys are all in sort of a, uh, three stooges dynamic where 
one says, I'm going to turn him into a stage show. Uh, I'm going to make so much money. And then the other guy's like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the belly of a fish. This is terrible. And the third guy's like, these guys must be gods. (laughs) And so they worship, you know, the, the worshiping of a new God, um, and the, you know, the, the reconciliation at the end, um, I feel like, uh, 500 or 410 years on, which is, you know, um, the, the Indians on this island are not going to be uh, so passive that they are going to be rebellious. And so, yeah, it, it is easy to read it as a, uh, colonization of the new world sort of thing and exploitation that goes along with it. But everybody in this play is kind of being exploited by Prospero. But what is the technique? It's it's words, right? So yeah, I mean, this is this is Shakespeare saying, "I got all these books. I learned real good, and I can manipulate the audience to feel what I want them to feel." And now I'm going to give up my art, walk away. Just just, but if you want me to walk away, you have to clap. <laughs> Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not so sure like that the ending is, is that week for Caliban because it's just, you know, it's just four hours, right? It's just, I, I think most of the versions I've seen were like two and a half hours long, but I don't know, maybe there's a intermission or something. Does the name Caliban come from anywhere? Or is this the first time from the X-Men? Used... <laughs> yeah, from the X-Men. <laughs> He's one of the X-Men There's characters. Asimov robot novels. Um, oh, yeah. Written by someone else. I can't remember who wrote them, but... Well, Caliban has basically the same letters as Cannibal. Oh, um, yeah. And mm. I've also seen uh, a version that it you know, also sounds like a Caribbean or Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's basically a name that means... Uh, a a savage or a potential slave. Mm-hmm. Mm. The Bermudas are even mentioned in in this. So, and there's mm-hmm. a, there's some in the introduction to this book. They talk about other um, influences. Three pamphlets on uh, uh, a ship called the Sea Adventure that got um, sunk on the Bermudas and. Uh, how that may have helped inspire the play, but um, I want to talk about the the real things that this inspired. Obviously, we have Brave New World, right? That's a line in here, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because the way it's t- it, we think of the title of Aldous Huxley's novel as uh, it's it's about utopia, <laughs> and then you read the book and you say, oh, okay. Right. Well, Miranda, it's it, it's a really great title because when Miranda says it, mm-hmm. she's immediately corrected by Prospero, who says it just looks new because you haven't seen anything yet. So right. the very title, Brave New World, implies that you should be looking at this in two different ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, Don't take uh, uh, that utopia for granted. And it's also a comedy in that line, right? So... Um, Something, the the line, I can't remember the lines preceding it, but the lines preceding it were like, um, they're not positive. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I can dig that up. Let me just type in Brave New World. Control F. Brave. Oops. New. Oh, by the way, that's one of the things. 
the 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 grammar not the grammar the the vocabulary choices in here they're i think strange comes up i don't know 500 times it's really it's really strong right um well it also it graded against me that people in the various versions kept calling it millen instead of milan and yeah i know that that's because it's the it makes the lines skin better that way yeah as poetry but it just kept pulling me out of the story <laughs> what bothered me was when sometimes they would say one and sometimes they would say the other just stick with <laughs> one or the other bud um Here's uh, here's the preceding line. Sebastian, a most high miracle, Ferdinand. Uh, Though the seas threaten, they are merciful. I have cursed them without cause. And then he kneels. Alonso, now all the blessings of a glad father compass thee about. Arise and say how thou camest here. Miranda, oh wonder, how many goodly creatures are are there here. How beauteous mankind is. Oh, brave new world that has such people in it. So um, those are three uh, shipwrecked sailors, right? <laughs> or sort of. Um, and she is saying, sexy men. <laughs> I've never seen them before. <laughs> um it's a new world for her, but what's funny is it, they're the ones showing up. This is his, her old world, right? So yeah, it, again, uh, he's got so many resonances. So that's a famous line. Um, but the one that strikes me as most, uh, most current, I guess, I guess in my view, is that this is probably, um, largely responsible for Star Trek. This, this play? This play. I mean, you know... I think largely is a huge Rodden, exaggeration. Well, Roddenberry... <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Roddenberry, you know, he had some specific inspirations. J, uh, Stuart J. Byrne, right? Um, he, he's he got a character who uh, kirks computers all the time. He, well, not all the time. <laughs> he, he kirks computers. He talks computers into self-destructing <laughs> or whatever, right? So he lifts from here and he lifts from there. Um, but I watched uh, the definitive adaptation of this last night, um, which is Forbidden Planet. I was mentioning this to <laughs> Scott. And um, if you haven't seen Forbidden Planet lately, um, there's very little in it that isn't in Star Trek. Very little. Um, it, it starts with a, a Federation starship going to Altair, the planet Altair. Uh, they come into, uh, before they, um, the land on the planet, they step into these, uh, uh, little, they're not even, in, there's basically, it looks like a heating, uh, heating device. You know, you see it at a restaurant to keep food warm. There's a lamp, lamp above uh-huh. and then there's a lamp in the floor. Um, which is the transporter booth, except they don't actually transport in there. They land on the planet. Um, the captain, Leslie Nielsen, takes his away team, which consists of him, a doctor, and a third officer. Uh, we've got Spock, McCoy, and uh, what, what's his name? They go... Bones. Bones. Um, there's a robot who, who takes them to... Uh, who, the robot, I think, is, um, is Ariel. 
uh, Robbie the robot in the movie, um, as a translation. And then they take him to the place. He, he had warned them about coming to the planet in the first place. Take him to the place. And he says, uh, I've been studying. And what is his, uh, his, his, what kind of scientist is it? You'll be very surprised. He's not a robot scientist. He's a philologist. He studies languages, which is kind of a weird kind of scientist to be. And he explains why everybody on the planet's dead other than him. Oh, and also his daughter who's there. Um, and, uh, she has all the relationship with Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock <laughs> and that there's a lot of kissing going on. Um, but ultimately on the planet, there's a force, which I would say is Caliban, which is angry at people who are treating the planet badly or treating it like a place to be colonized. Um, but if you just like look at the way the, the, the film is put together, it's very much echoed in Star Trek. And what's the, what's the newest announced Star Trek show called? Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly influential. I mean, Forbidden Planet is an adaptation of The Tempest. Well, there are two episodes of Star Trek, the original series, that, you know, up, uh, at least appear to draw heavily on the Tempest. Which ones um, are you thinking of? Requiem for Methuselah has the man Flint, who is immortal, um, and has oh, yeah. a young ward uh, right. as, you know, Miranda, um, and robots as Ariel and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's also What Are Little Girls Made Of, um, which has the guy who... Uh, went to this planet and found the old people's technology to make robots from, and he creates this innocent oh, yes. daughter robot. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the influence on Star Trek is absolutely undeniable, but, I mean, Roddenberry pitched Star Trek as wagon train to the stars, so yeah. he had a lot of influence. But uh, but notice he's uh, who he's selling that to. He's not pitching it to us that way. He knows what he wants. He's selling it to guys who are making westerns all day. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. So he he knows what he's pitching to them. But um, uh, there's actually an episode of Next Generation where uh, they go to. Uh, it's actually what's funny is it's named after an episode of The Prisoner. Um, the title of the episode is, is uh, escaping me at the at the moment. Anyways. They go to a planet, um, and there's a scientist on the planet who's, you know, the rest of the civilization died or whatever. Um, and he's got a daughter. Um, she's never seen a man before. Uh, there's a thing about Data being one of the men she sees, right? Um, and then the, the plot of it is actually him. Um, he wants to live forever, so he wants to transfer his consciousness into data's body or something like that but it, it is uh, uh, uh miranda and uh prospero story at, at the setup at least but m- more importantly it's just like you what what islands are in science fiction are planets right planet stories right. you go to a planet there's some weird aliens on it you get out of the ship you deal with the aliens uh you get back on the ship and you go to another planet and so with Star Trek, mostly the sets are, you know, uh, you know, you use the stuff on the ship. So even on next generation, they're trying to save money. They beam people up to the ship to do their play, right? 
rather than beam down to the planet and wander around in some caves for 20 minutes. It, the, the idea of a native force and a whole backstory going on, um, is that's that part, it, the, the native force is there, but the backstory is removed when we talk about Forbidden Planet. The Leslie Nielsen and crew characters, they were not brought there by the, by the scientist on the planet below, right? Shakespeare is not controlling, he's not Q, uh, in these, you know, these episodes, controlling every ship in space. Rather, this is a lost colony. They go to visit, to check up on them, and they encounter the things that are going down on the planet. Um, and since it's so rich as a, you know, source of other works, it seemed to me like really obvious. Uh, if you watch like the opening 20 minutes of, not even, of uh, Forbidden Planet, just seeing the way they manipulate uh, their spaceship, it's visually very much like Star Trek. The only thing that's missing from their spaceship is the two pontoons of the, uh, of the, uh, you know, the warp nacelles. It's, it's a flying saucer like we normally think of alien spaceships, right? Which is what the, what the Enterprise is. It's a flying saucer with pontoons. Nacelles sticking out. So. I, I just think that that's a really interesting, uh, you wouldn't expect a play from uh, about a wizard from 400 years ago to be largely responsible for what we see as as a as a a whole kind of science fiction. <clears throat> so largely, I mean, what what percentage are we talking about, Trish? Ninety <laughs> nine or twelve point two percent? Only twelve point two? Come on. <laughs> Mr. Spock. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is Forbidden Planet is largely responsible for Star <laughs> Trek, and like uh, it's yeah. an adaption of. It, it, uh, it is the, the plot of the Tempest. It is the yeah, plot of the but, Tempest translated but, I into mean, science the, fiction. The visual aspects of Forbidden Planet you're describing don't derive from the Tempest; they derive from Forbidden Planet. Right, but the plot of Forbidden Planet is the Tempest. And all right, the characters right. are analogs, right? So, um, the, the, you've got a massive crew of, of sailors. Almost all of them stay on the ship, right? They're there we, uh, doing their protesting at the beginning. Um, and then Ariel takes them, uh, in this case, right? So, uh, yeah, the visual elements, okay. M- you know, that we can obviously attribute to Star Trek, at least uh, a lot. But the, the plot elements of, it's a, you know, Star Trek's episodic. This is very much like an episode. The, the, if you compress the, um, the plot down, it's, it is total, totally like a Star Trek episode. So what you're saying is the Tempest is the first episode of Star Trek. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Largely, except, you know, you have to. It's the pilot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. How many pilots does Star Trek have? It has a lot. (laughs) So, um, the cage is a different uh, thing. I, I haven't rewatched that one recently, but the where no man has gone before that first episode where um, Kirk's in it, um, and they I don't know some crewman they go to the edge of the galaxy for some reason, and some crewman gets silver eyes, and that means he's he's 
he's got ESP powers. Yeah, well, he has godlike powers. Yeah. He's kind of like a Q or something. In exactly. Later terms. Right. So, um, by the way, an episode of Star Trek Continues uh, is a sequel to that. But that, that's beside the point for the moment. That, that, that is not Forbidden Planet, right? But uh, it's because they don't go to a planet. Um, but that is dealing with another form of science fiction, right? And the fact that islands all have to be landed on and investigated, right? When you go to Tahiti and the natives are friendly, and you go to Hawaii and they kill you, right? Different islands offer, you know, they're in different states of po- political movements. Maybe you show up during an election, or you, you show up while they're uh, on holiday. Things are different on different planets and different... um Things, you know, different uh, communications with different people. Uh, and that that's why it is very Star Trek-like. It, it just has that landing on a planet is landing on an island sort of thing. I, I think that that's... And Caliban is an alien, right? In a way that um, we think of natives as being treated as non-humans. Obviously right. Well, in the play, Caliban is only half human, and the other, you know, son of the a devil, witch and right? the devil. So. The devil, and 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 she, her her mom ha- is that her mom's god, who shows up in the play, I think twice, as mentioned, right? Um, is subservient to uh, to this is something Caliban's worried about. He says, uh, Setabos, I think is the name of the god. He's worried that his mom's god will be taken by by a Prospero when he swears at you know he says the only good thing about learning languages I learned to swear um and when he takes on a new god not just to swear to curse I think it, yes. there's a different implication there oh yes swearing can just be frustration but curse implies you wish harm on someone else. Uh, swearing is promising, right? So I swear I'm going to kill you. Is I, I'm swearing to my God. I'm damning myself if I don't do it. Yeah, and cursing is like, may my God put punishment upon you. Uh, they're they're yeah they're related, but they're what they say in school is don't swear. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, and the, you say I'm not swearing. I'm cursing. <laughs> <laughs> I curse you. Um. Set, uh, Setabos, is that the name of his mom's god? I don't remember. All right, I'm trying to bring it up. Uh, that's what I remember from your tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Setabos. Although, you, you tweeting about this, you might be breaking some podcast rules. I don't know. No, that's talking about it. It's different. Uh, he he <laughs> often puts out little teasers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, beautiful imagery. But, um... I'm not fine. I, I've lost the group te- chat, so I'm gonna go there and find the text. There we go. Set to boss. This is exciting for our listeners. I know. This is what they <laughs> tune in for. <laughs> this is what podcasting's all about. Uh, <laughs> Waiting for here. someone to look up a reference. Taliban. <laughs> you taught me language, and my profit on it is I know how to curse. The red plague rid you for learning me your language. And notice Prospero is always cursing him with uh, pain. Hag seed hence, says Prospero. Fetch us in fuel. 
and be quick, thou, thou art best to answer other business. Shruggest thou malice? If thou neglectest or dost unwilling what I command, I'll rack thee with old cramps, fill all thy bones with aches, make thee roar that beasts shall tremble at the din, at thy din. Caliban, no, pray thee. And then aside, I must obey his art is of such power, it would control my dam's god Setebos. And I love that he's calling his mom a dam, D-A-M, like a she's a sheep, um, and make a vassal of him, right? If I'm not careful, my god will become, or my mom's god will become his servant, which is crazy. Interesting. Prospero, so slave hence. Um, now, there's another thing going on with uh, the him always having to fetch in wood. <laughs> um, and it's, I think his first line is, there's wood enough within. Um, this is all penis uh, erect jokes, I think, <laughs> or largely. Um, and there's another one, I think, during that gabardine scene. Uh, yeah. When he meets Stefan on Trinculo, he says, Oh, Setebos, these brave spirits indeed, how fine my master is. I am afraid he will chastise me. See, he's talking to himself, right? He's praying to himself. Uh, I guess he's praying aloud. Um, I think that was the, the whole of, yeah, Setebos only comes up twice. But, uh, the fact that he's, he's on an island with a, a female and wants to make little Calibans, which is, I mean, mm-hmm. it's inherently cute. <laughs> a whole bunch of little Calibans running around. What makes him ugly? And, you know, when you're adapting it to the theater, most people choose to make him ugly in, uh, in a way that I don't think is justified by the text. Um, they the make The text him, calls him misshapen. Yes, they call him misshapen. But you, like, uh, one of the last ones I saw, they had him, uh, not bilateral symmetry, right? Like, he's got one, he's got, He's called spotted in the play, and, uh, you know, somebody calls uh, his, when he thinks he's a stinky fish, um, or a dead fish, or a live fish recently, (laughs) whatever, they call his uh, uh, arms fins, but it's both arms. It's not one arm is, you know, all, I don't think these are birth defects. I think that this is his misshapen species. could just mean not shaped like a standard yeah, human. Like, yeah, you could, you know, like this is, this is the kind of talk that people, uh, who are talking about why, you know, your black, uh, son can't marry my white daughter are upset is, you know, I don't want my child to be, uh, mixed race. I don't want the, my child to look like that because those people are ugly. Objectively, they say. But I don't think that there's any evidence to say that he's objectively ugly. He's spotted, yes, but I think freckles are nice. That's just me. So he's the, a fish man, but that's nice. <laughs> I, I think the shadow out of In's mouth is a very nice story because at the end, even though he's he's uh, you know put a lot of his family into uh, concentration camps, they, they he thinks they're going to forgive them, forgive him. Because they're very yeah, forgiving. I've always wondered if that was just um, him, you know, being influenced in dreams by the uh, deep ones, so that he 
they would trying to get him to come back so that they could punish him. You're you're uh, double thinking his um his concerns, but um when in the story did they ever uh like they they're coming to invite him to a party when he's running around the city. <laughs> come on, man, we're going swimming. <laughs> and he's like, a no! very special kind of party with him as the main attraction. <laughs> well, they're not going to eat him. They're they're going to invite him to swim. You go down and see what's down there under Devil's Reef. Not rightly named, right? They, you're going to wear a crown, bud. <laughs> Is it going to be great? I'm sure it's very comforting to tell yourself that. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the other way of going is that, you know, he's, he's wrong, right? It, that, that, uh, and it's an anti-racist story in my view. Otherwise, you have to read it as a racist story, and and then yeah, I mean that f- your your analogy fits because um, you know we know Lovecraft was racist, but but right, but it's it's subject to interpretation. But I, yeah, I, I think that that's one of the interesting things when you are reading Shakespeare. He doesn't give you know costume direct. We get very little garments in here. There's the the robe, uh, Prospero's magic robe. But other than that, I don't see it as, uh, you know, direct. He's got a gabardine, right? A cloak, I assume, a blanket. But uh, I don't see him as necessarily ugly objectively, like misshapen as, uh, you know, lumpy. Like, what's what's the guy in uh, the Goonies? (laughs) Like, that guy's got one big eye and one small eye and... (laughs) Whatever. Like, it's not like that. It's it's more like he's just a different species. Well, uh, if you take you know if you take a look at the shape of water, uh, ah. uh, the um, the horrifying creature from the Black Lagoon is turned into a sex object mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So uh, a love object, actually. So yeah. um, you, you you know it's. Beauty and ugliness <laughs> are certainly in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, yeah, same with uh, Frankenstein, right? So they say he's ugly, and most of the time when they're saying that, they're picturing a guy who's sewn together from parts. There's no evidence that he's sewn together from parts. There's evidence that he he's made of materials you would find in the graveyard, but there's no sewing. It could be growing. It could be um, just using genetic material. It doesn't say, and there's no, you know, electric. It's it, right, the visualization. Right. There again, you have a beholder thing. Is uh, is Frankenstein's monster a horrifying monster, or is, or is he, he too a beautiful? badly mistreated uh, uh, sort of child um, that naturally acts, you know, does some wrong stuff when he's never been talked to or had an education or anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm an abused child. Right. Um, and this is also a feral child story, uh, in my view. Like, um, Sycorax, who, again, a great character is not on stage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sycorax, um, she taught him a language, right? She must have, because he, right. he's talking about right. things from before her, before he knew the names of the stars as you called them. Right, the names of yes. the greater and the lesser light, as you call them. Yeah, there were some. You know, I I think uh, Prospero ma- refers to the you know like gibbering, muttering, howling noises that uh, that Caliban made before he taught him 
language. Right. But, uh, you're right. He could well have had his own language that he shared with his mother. He we don't know have. how old Caliban was when we his don't. mother died. But he got Setebos, right, from uh, his mom. And, uh, you know, she, he's he's a intelligent creature. He knows he's been mistreated, that he's had something stolen from him and enslaved. Mm-hmm. And the fact... I, it's really cool to see, like, Ariel is actually, like, if you get Will to talk about the different kinds of slave mentalities, but Ariel's like, I'm your perfect servant. La, 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 la. <laughs> right? Well, after being threatened with being re-imprisoned, Ariel is perfect. Right. Um, but even so, there, it is, uh, it's always reward with him, right? So yeah, there is that scene to, again, show how the servants, service came to be, right? Um, and that, that part's very, um, folklorish, right? You make a deal with a dwarf in the forest sort of thing. You will be my servant for 12 years and then I will give you a, a great horse and you will be, be the miller's son for sure or whatever. Um, so there's that. He will be the Miller's son for yeah. sure. No, no, there's a there's a specific story I'm thinking of that where that literally happens. Uh, a guy goes yeah. out, three three sons, three Miller's apprentices go out into the forest, um, and two of them leave the third behind because they say he's dumb or fool, foolish or something. And uh, a little prince, it's uh, I think it's from Scandinavia. A little princess shows up. And says, "Hey, uh, come to my castle." Oh, I'm I'm mixing up two of them. Um, and he and he comes back with um, fine clothes, and she turns into a big princess. But then there's another one with a cat, a servant, a, a cat that takes uh, Miller's son as a servant, and uh, turns him into, gives him a horse, and then he goes back to show them Miller something i don't know there's an apprentice he goes back so and the then the cat turns the boy into the miller's son is what yes, you're telling exactly me. After, right after because a wh- of whoever comes back with a, a nice horse um for the miller will be my uh anointed son and take over my mill and he comes back with a horse and and then the princess says here's your horse um and here's your son and i'm taking your son away and you can live with these two rotters because I'm going to marry him and I'm a princess and he's going to be have my estate. So there's uh, there's no, there's none of that for poor uh, Caliban, right? He doesn't. No, get a no, not at all. So I, I I'm not on anybody's side other than the <laughs> drunk guy <laughs> who's making all of the lines about uh uh he, the bark from a beer. But no, it's um beer from a bark. He he survived by going on a on a cask from the ship floating to the island and then he's filled his his uh gourd and he's filling everybody's holes with <laughs> liquid it's really funny what's that guy is that tranquilo or i don't remember stefano i think stefano stefano okay that that's that, that's awesome that's my favorite part <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was the most the that little little section, like the three stooges aspect yeah. of the play, I think is the most interesting. Um uh pretty funny stuff. Um you know, I mean also like pathetic in a way, but pretty funny stuff. Uh, buy this bottle which I made of the bark of a tree with my own hand since I was 
cast ashore. So if you follow the logic there, right, I've drawn a little picture. Buy this bottle, which I made of the bark of a tree with my own hand since I was cast ashore. One way of reading that is he's, he swam ashore. Um, he found the bark of a tree and made uh, juice from it, which is possible. You know, it's one of those stories you show up on some Vinland and you say, yeah, there was free drinks on the land, right? <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit, right? But another way of reading that is he, 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 he made a bottle of a bark. A bark is another word for a ship rather than bark of a tree, right? Um, and he floated from the, uh, from the ship to the island on the keg and then emptied the keg into a bottle. That's, that's fun. It's fun. <laughs> He's got both bark and bark. Very nice. Uh, another line from that same section, I guess. Understanding begins to swell and the approaching tide will shortly fill the reasonable shore that now lies foul and muddy. Uh, it, so many lines from this are just, you know, perfectly pristine and un, unattended, uh, by, you know, turned into a, a poem or another novel or book or something else, episode of Star Trek. Um, Phoebus' steeds are foundered. Night is chained below. So, Phoebus is the, is the sun god, I think. And that this is, this is, uh, like the, uh, this island earth sort of idea, right? So the foundering is, um, like stopped or stalled. So this is actually about the time and, um, it's a metaphor for the day being too long. Phoebus's steeds are foundered, night is chained below. Um, it's like the, 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 again, one of the words that comes up again is time, time, time. I, I didn't make a word cloud of this, but this one would be, yeah, tis time. He's always checking the time, Prospero. So interesting. How many times does strange come? Yeah, 32 times for time. Strange. 29 times for strange. Another another thing mentioned in this um in this introduction of a book I don't know by whom um was oh yeah this is also the this is the <laughs> this is the book with the uh there's a line from somebody's notes here uh Antonio hang cur hang you horse son insolent noisemaker we are less afraid to be drowned than thou art, Gonzalo. I'll warrant him for drowning, though the ship were no stronger than a nutshell and as leaky as an unstanched wench. Um, <laughs> and then the note here is um, underlining leaky as an unstanched wench. Um, his view of, and there's male-female symbols, typical male Euro view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shakespeare, typical male Euro. <laughs> um, uh, these are rude boys. Uh, they, they, isn't there a song right in here about um, uh, one of the guys enters drinking? Yeah, it's the guy enters drinking and he's he's um, he start, talks talks about all the girls on shore except for Kate. <laughs> oh. 
little funny stuff. Yeah, very funny play, I think. Yeah, that's not right. So lots of bad quotes in here. Lots of uh, bad interpretations, great quotes. <clears throat> are we done? Can't be done. That's too Just, fast. Um, yeah, there are <laughs> many, many great quotes <laughs> from from this, as, as there are from most Shakespeare plays. Um, I wanted to talk a little more about different interpretations. Uh, uh, I, I think... Most people would agree that Forbidden Planet and, if you buy Jesse's theory, uh, Star Trek are uh, the most famous um, reinterpretations, adaptations of uh, of the Tempest. Today, today but, you there's... know, there's a ton of other stuff out mm-hmm. there too. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Mary Stewart wrote a book called This Rough Magic in mm. 1953, which is one of her romance spy thrillers where, you know, a, 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 a failed actress, young and fairly innocent, comes to Corfu and meets a grand old man of the theater. So he's the Prospero analog um uh and she falls in love with his son um there is a 1948 western called yellow sky which uh has some (laughs) relationship Uh, a gang of outlaws comes to a ghost town basically where a man and, and his daughter uh he's he's mining and she is uh you know young and innocent also i mean there but you know when is something just similar to the plot and when is it actually inspired by um the uh the tempest uh, that's a bit of a question but i mean um let's see night there's a night night sorry a 2019 novella called Miranda in Milan by Catherine Duckett, which I did not have time to read before this. Um, but, I mean, the influence is ongoing, and I'm sure we'll continue to spawn many more um, versions and inspirations. There's um, uh, There was a uh, mention in this introduction about how the modern version that we're reading of The Tempest was, for the most part, not the version most people read Um between us and Shakespeare originally doing it. Um, that's because somebody expanded it. Um, they took a couple of characters who are uh, minor and made them much more. And there's a version on LibriVox that is that version. I think it's a, an extra hour longer. Um, if we still have Will, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on the different versions of slavery and servitude that are addressed here and colonization. I think he's gone. Oh, too bad. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, that there's at least the two uh, servants of Cal- mm-hmm. of uh, Prospero, but almost all the relationships um, in this are class-based rather than uh, race-based, right? The only one that's... It's very hierarchical, yes. So even, like, the fact that the the marriage that they've just come to, uh, come from uh, in Algiers, right? Um, Dido's being mentioned there, and was it Algiers or Tunis? I think it's Tunis. <laughs> that's part of the, pl- the part of the... 
dialogue. Yeah, is, there's yet another woman. So there are three women who are mentioned in this play who do not actually appear on stage, which are, of course, Sycorax, uh, Miranda's mother, and uh the the daughter of um of the king of Naples um Miranda's who apparently mother gets nothing right sorry Miranda's what? mother gets nothing there's nothing about her well she she gets the honor of being called a virtuous woman that's about it that's all we know her well her. Uh, okay yeah no no you're right. right there's there's but there's literally nothing uh, like we don't know how she died or when she died Did she die in childbirth doesn't say Right, right. We don't know any of that except that she apparently wasn't around anymore by the time that uh uh the exile happened yes. when Miranda was 3. Um 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 oh right and the the marriage of the king of Naples' daughter uh is an arranged marriage and mm-hmm. I think she was uh not at all eager for it but uh again we don't we don't meet her. We don't know <laughs> We don't know uh, if she ended up being happy with the marriage after all. We just know that she kind of had to be yeah. escorted to that marriage so by the, her father. There's, <laughs> there's three. There's class, there's race, and there's gender, right? So uh, as right. in any any Shakespeare play, gender is always uh, an issue, right? Sometimes they're mm-hmm. playing dress up, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, eventually they're going to get married. <laughs> that's, that's just how it is, right? There is no um, uh, escaping to the... Uh, uh, I don't know, Island of the Amazons or anything like that. Right, right. Women woman get married. has to be married to yeah. have a happy ending in Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, maids become wives. That's uh, that's how it goes. Or they become mad and kill themselves, right? <laughs> um, so uh, the, the, setting that aside, the, the slave relationships are all over this, is in servants of various levels to various... People. So, um, what was Prospero's beef with his brother is that he is going to uh, put the coronet of Milan under the crown of Naples, right? Um, you would make us who are un- unaligned um, in servitude to another uh, greater power. Uh, well, that's the male becoming the female, uh, making a marriage, right? The uh, Milan being the female in this relationship and Naples being the male, that's uh, a servitude relationship in that, you know, they're stronger. What can you do? Unless you have a dad named Prospero nearby to slap Caliban when he tries to paw his daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, can ar- you can arrange her marriage to the king of Naples' son? Uh, okay. <laughs> That'll work, Right. I mean, it's okay. For, it's okay when I do it. Uh, my name's Prospero, but when my betraying <laughs> brother does it, that's not that's not okay. Even though, yeah, he's abandoned his things. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point Scott to, I was thinking about Scott during this, um, was um, uh, all the uh, the Roman or the Greek gods. I can't remember um, who show up. Ceres, etc. I guess they're Roman. Um, you know, this is set uh, presumably in the Mediterranean, right? It's somewhere between uh, Italy and yeah, it, it feels North like Africa. It feels like it's distant, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, and they might have been blown out of the uh, out into the Mid Atlantic or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, wherever it is, it's in the Roman world, 
mm-hmm. at least on the borderlines. But at the end, um, uh, I must have seen this many years ago. There's Ariel. Sorry, I thought that uh, I had <laughs> myself on Do Not Disturb. But Sorry. Not. There's Ariel performing uh, the m- music. Well, um, Tinkerbell, like you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, wh- one of the things that happens at the end is you can see Caliban, uh, sorry, Prospero, um, uh, putting away his books, giving up magic. Um, but his magic is all non-Christian. It's almost like this is a Christianizing of, of this, this activity now henceforth will no longer be, um, magic based. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and with all these, uh, he's giving up his servant who is uh, a spirit, right? These are all non-Christian things, you know, series and all that. And, and that's what I uh, think about Setebos having to, uh, be enslaved to Prospero's God, whatever Prospero's God is. At the end, it's almost like Prospero's giving up his paganism and becoming, uh, Christian. Hmm. So yeah, he is himself in sort of in, instead of trying to enslave the world, he's like in, he's not enslaving himself to God, but he's submitting himself to God. Submitting, certain, yeah, right, which is right. slightly different than you know becoming a uh, a slave to your husband. Submitting to your husband's uh, <laughs> desires is not the same as um, uh, him whipping you until you do them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah, there. I can't remember who said the line um, "Hell is empty and all the devils are here." Yeah, that's right near uh, the beginning. Um, it's right near the beginning. Yeah, and um, but you know, Ariel says it actually. <laughs> yes, yeah, isn't that isn't that interesting? Ariel recounts it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, of course, um, the description there is naturalistic uh, from our point of view. That's the the trans translating. Um, it into the science fiction explanation. It's not St. Elmo's fire, uh, as in, you know, some mysterious magic of nature, but rather it is a weather phenomenon, <laughs> mm. right? For us, it's natural. And yeah. I think for Shakespeare, he knows it's natural too, but it's mm. on the borderline, right? Between, uh, the, unna- between, uh, it's like, uh, for us, what's well, ball lightning is still pretty obscure, right? Not many videos yeah. of it, but you know, saying yeah, almost you know, file, was, you just go to YouTube and you see it all the time. Yeah. It's hard for me in uh, today's time not to interpret this in a in a way uh, where you know Prospero he um, invokes this tempest in order to control events, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it, it's hard for me not to extend that to politics today and the media and things oh, like that. Oh, interesting. I never even where, thought about that. Yeah, it, but yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about that nowadays. Wow, and, interesting. Um, yeah, but it, it is like, you know, this creation of a tempest. In a know, teapot. <laughs> uh, in a teapot, right. Yep. You know, there's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't need to go down that road. No, that's I, I think great it's, stuff. It's obvious how that makes me think of that, but... Prospero really created this entire situation mm-hmm. um, to get these people to shipwreck on the island so that he can get them to admit or to give him his title back or whatever. And Marry then, his daughter um, off. Yeah, exactly. So he, he's just like he, he's doing this all 
to satisfy the needs that he has. And right. also, the whole play is about control and manipulation mm-hmm. and gaslighting yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know illusions and stuff to you know, creating situations to make people do what you want. Um, right, so, right. Uh, which is Shakespeare stock and trade, right? What what is yeah, it? What, it, whatever it, he does in Macbeth, or, or yeah, that's the interesting aspect of it as well. So not only is this abhorrent in the world, right? But yet Shakespeare does that for a living on stage, which is not abhorrent. And he does does it to his characters who are on stage watching actors in Macbeth and Hamlet. I will catch the conscience of the king by putting on a play that will reveal whether he actually was the murderer of my father, uh, his brother. Right. Uh, Or it happens in Macbeth as well. But that idea of players. uh, Go for it. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say, there is a very special power to story. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he and is the master. And all that stuff. It, it, like, it bypasses all of your reason mm-hmm. and lodges itself in your head, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, yes. You know, you, it, it, these are not logical arguments. These are things that go past logical argument and can make you feel things about things um, that can be manipulative. Right. But um, the audience goes in with consent to the trickery and illusions. Absolutely, they even absolutely. pay good money. But they don't know what they're consenting <laughs> yeah. to. They only know how long they've consented to. <laughs> right. And so it's a it's a fascinating thing to hear Shakespeare just talk about that, you yes. know, like in Hamlet, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then here, um, he, he is acknowledging that he knows he knows that this power exists. Um, when I was prepping for this, I remember reading something that they said that at this time in Shakespeare's career, it it often would happen without his notice that the troop would be asked to perform for the king or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he he could, in a way, be talking to royalty in his plays. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So in one way, he needs to be careful so he doesn't get jailed or whatever. Mm. <laughs> doesn't get himself in trouble. Yeah. But in another way, he can uh, bypass their reason and lodge something in their heads. You know what I mean? He's he's kind of in the position of a uh, fool, one of his favorite kinds of characters, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, right. Again, a, a character who is who is prominent in a play, uh, but not in it, is Yorick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. <laughs> right. And let yes. me tell you about this guy who was very influential upon me. Um, who I'm now holding his skull of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, how did Yorick die? Uh, probably said a joke that his dad didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but what, a, what a thing to imagine, you know, like every time you uh, write something, you, you're you like, well, they, you know, the king might see this, you know. And he has the power of life and death. Like, he mm-hmm. used to, you know, if, if you say uh, something that uh, Biden doesn't like or the Facebook people don't like or you know, you can get banned from Facebook. They don't literally arrest you yet. Right, right. <laughs> Not yet. Not literally yeah. arrested. They don't throw you in the dungeon. Habeas corpus is still kind of there, right? So, no, you can you can get uh, executed from uh, Facebook or, you know, banned from Twitter for life, like some people have, have had done to them. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> even famous presidential people um, have had this, uh, you know, fatality of the, the <laughs> common the common this you know common market discussion gone but uh, literally you know 
she uh, Queen Elizabeth, and then later this is actually after Elizabeth. Yeah, this is James James, James the first, right? And also James the sixth. <laughs> oh yeah, both, he's yeah. both. Depending on what country what, you're talking that's about. That's right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyways, um, mm-hmm. that that uh, the fact that you know he did survive to give his second best bed to his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, is a uh, is a tribute to the fact that yeah he is willing to rock boats, but those boats are on other lands, not in the <laughs> land of England, right? Mm, right. Um, or they're so far back in Scottish history that nobody minds that you know some guy <laughs> did something bad. Um, I want to uh, talk uh, specifically about the gender flipping. Uh, just before you do yeah. that, just a little note about sure. the power of story. I mm-hmm. uh, recommend a fun standalone alternate history by Harry Turtledove called Ruled Britannia. Okay. Uh, not Ruled Britannia, but Ruled Britannia, which supposes that the Spanish Armada was not blown off course. Mm-hmm. England was taken over. And Shakespeare is... Uh, hired by a spy master to write a play to incite rebellion so mm. he writes a, writes a play about uh boadicea or Boudicca. oh nice it's fun yeah it's a good cool. story harry turtle doves mm. always going back in time and saying what if mm-hmm. <laughs> i like it so what were you going to say about gender flipping well um so i i didn't watch the uh the one you watched trish i watched a different one um mm-hmm. it was 2019 um, gender flip version with Prospero playing, played by a woman. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, while I was watching it, I was mentioning, you know, I say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. And my mom says, well, there's the other one. You could watch that if you don't like this one. And I'm like, it's not that I don't like it. It's like, I'm very interested in, into why it was gender flipped. I mean, it's a bigger, it's a big role, right? So I guess you, you've got, you want to have a woman in a big role. Miranda's the only woman in the whole play. Ariel's sometimes played by a woman, right? Um, that's the traditional one to gender flip, which is kind of weird because it's, it's like Peter Pan, I guess, being played by a woman, right? It's normal in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you gender flip Prospero, it actually fucks with the text a bit. Um, and there's like a number of spots where, th- you know, one of the things they can do is they, they call him um, a Duke, right? So she just says Duchess in the version I saw, right? Mm-hmm. I was d- Duchess. Uh, and then she says my dukedom. That's fine. Um, but there's lines like it uh, resonances break uh, when you gender flip the character. So this is one great one, a great example. Uh, Miranda. Oh, the heavens. Prospero. Mark his condition and the event, then tell me if this might be a brother. So this is Prosper talking about his brother stealing his dukedom from him, right? Miranda says, I should sin to think, but nobly of my grandmother. Good wombs have borne bad sons. They kept that mm-hmm. in the gender flip version. It doesn't make any sense now. Right. So you could change the line. You say, good wombs have borne bad siblings <laughs> or right um and i'm like so what what what's the power well seeing a uh an old woman right prospero's supposed to be an old man right or at least is traditionally played as an old man he's not a young man anyways um uh with a with a staff and performing magic um she's a witch in a way that a wizard 
Prospero is, or a warlock, I guess. Nobody calls him that, but... Yeah, um, um, she, the version I, walk, I watched, I don't remember if they actually changed the text a bit, but there was certainly the implication that as a woman practicing magic, she was a witch, and that was why she was deposed, right? rather than just Antonio wanting the power. Yeah, and also, I like, uh, I was very sympathetic with um, Antonio, like, he says, the brother, Prospero says to his brother, hey, um, I'm really interested in books, and I'm not so much about running the the city, so why don't you handle that, and I'm going to go study my books, because I like my books. And then he comes out of his library, and he notices that uh, his brother is, like, running the city, <laughs> and, like, <laughs> making deals to prevent the city from being invaded by Naples. Um, and, and then like, there's a coup, but the coup is a very, very soft coup in the sense that, you know, one of the guys is like, yeah, okay, let's get him a boat and we get him all his books and get him out of here and, you know, no executions. Right. Um, but we don't know everything of what's going on from Antonio's point of view. Right. We only know what Prospero thinks of it. And then we, we see, uh, the brother on the island later, uh, giving his his rationale for it and and there's a a number like it, if you're going to be a run a state and in this case a city state right one of the things that's great about being on an island is you don't have to deal with the neighbors as much mm-hmm. right away right so uh new zealand can lock down its country in a way that or Thailand, uh, taiwan can lock down its country in a way that um azerbaijan can't or mm-hmm. Switzerland, right? It's completely landlocked, completely surrounded. Um, it has to have some sort of relationship concern with all its neighbors. Here, um, we're just getting the guy who's been locked away in his library's story. And so when his brother takes over a job that he was doing anyways, I'm not so upset. I'm thinking that that's part of the part of the story of like why I don't trust the story of Caliban being a rapist. Uh, you know, if he's an animal, then it's not rape, right? Animals don't rape other animals. I mean, the, maybe you can say there's no issue of consent here, or there is an issue of consent here. I'm like they're animals, right? Now, in the case, yeah, we don't actually hear any details. We don't know if he was trying to seduce her. Yeah, we or don't. Take her by force or just, you know, two youngsters playing doctor. Who knows? Exactly. Um. And, and one of the <laughs> things, and that's, that's another one of the lines, right? So one of the things that, um, Miranda says is, I've but seen two men before. And one of them is Prospero, right? And he's not a, he's not a, uh, an option. <laughs> the other is Caliban. So when she sees this other guy who she finds much more handsome, um, probably in part due to the magic of her dad, um, you know, setting her on the path and, you know, setting that guy alone and having him do all the things that, uh, like there's the carrying of the wood. <laughs> there's a lot of wood jokes in here. Anyways, um, th- that sort of relationship of, of setting the, Brother, I'm going to get my revenge on my brother and get my kingdom back. You didn't want your kingdom in the first place. You weren't, you, you literally handed it over to him. And now you're upset that he's, he's running it. 
That's what you do. <laughs> That's not so Prospero's uh untrustworthy from the beginning. And it's almost like this whole play is like I need to get back in my good books and um I don't know. The Caliban doesn't come out profited profited in the end. Sad story for him. Uh but yeah, I I just thought the the purpose of the gender flipping it was um other than to give meaty roles to uh women um i'm not sure it makes any sense other than yeah you, you can say the reason she was kicked out is because she was a witch and that in that case it's saving her from an angry crowd right but that that's introducing something that is literally not in the play I, I, I'm not sure, like, I, I know people love to do this with Shakespeare is, you know, mess around with, uh, timelines and, you know, make, this is, this is not about, uh, this is not about Middle Ages, uh, England. It's about, um, it's about World War One. Or this is Hitler. Richard the Third is Hitler. Like, okay, right. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Nothing really worked. But, um, it looks interesting, right? So. If you yeah, gender earlier flip- this year, I watched several versions of Macbeth. Uh huh. I, I really got into Macbeth, and I was watching everything I could find, and all this stuff that you're saying. It is remarkable how the feel of a character can just change just by how the actor plays it. Oh yeah. You know, yes. like Macbeth, especially. Um, Michael Fassbender has a version that mm-hmm. is visually beautiful, mm-hmm. and he plays Macbeth as pure evil from the very beginning of the oh. play. He's just nasty, uh, power-grabbing person. And then you get um, Ian McClellan. And mm-hmm. I think it was Helen Mirren who played Lady Macbeth in the version that I watched. So it's not – he has one version where it is in a different time. Yeah, it's World War but then he's Yeah, but then he's got one Ish. I think that World is in just the, the, a typical setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to remember if that was him, though. It might have been the BBC version, but I'm pretty sure Helen Mirren played Lady Macbeth, and she was awesome. But, you know, in that one, it was like Macbeth was sort of being swept along by events. Mm-hmm. It, it was like mm-hmm. he found himself in trouble. Yeah, and he ven- uh, uh, notices and, and the he, swastika on his armband. Oh, I was like, oh, how'd that get there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it was more of a um, – he wasn't evil from the beginning, and he went crazy because he wanted – he didn't want this stuff to happen – but he did it anyway, and he did it for power, you know, but mm-hmm. he wasn't he was more like he was surprised at this opportunity for power rather mm-hmm. than having I think that that's a, a more charitable reading to get it of the play yeah, Destiny of course it is, is a yeah. very dangerous concept if you feel mm-hmm. like you are supposed to do something uh to follow some kind of story that you think the universe has instead right, of, right. you know, making your own moral choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is easy to get swept up in events. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing what you're saying here. I've only seen the one version of the Tempest so far, but you're, you're saying similar things, you know, just, just, you know, gender swapping or not. It's like how this is played can make you change completely from play from, from performance to performance, what you think of Prospero? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. For instance, I was struck um, 
with uh, when when Ariel finally gets their freedom and leaves, um, you know, I, I like that you're saying their, their freedom. Now you're, you're <laughs> well, making a third choice. Whichever, you know, I, I, I think Ariel is a fairly ambiguous uh, uh, character. But anyway, she's a mermaid um, in one one story. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when Ariel is, is freed, um, some versions have him take off. Without a backward glance, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the word is said and and uh, Ariel is out of there. Yep. Um, and there are other versions where he gives a last affectionate glance mm-hmm. back at uh, uh, Prospero. And it's a huge tonal shift. Absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah, there, uh, an author writing a book has a choice of... Uh, uh, relaying how much uh, how how the reader is supposed to take something but with a play that is mostly dialogue and a few stage directions a lot of it is up to Mm -hmm. the director and the actors as to what people are supposed to take away from this thing and you know that's what is makes plays endlessly fascinating and lets me watch, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't listen to an audio book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> four times in a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right, but right. I was quite happy to look at all the different interpretations that people were putting on this play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are tons more versions out there that I didn't get to. And all the ones that were never recorded that you'll never see. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also speaks to the um, the role of the viewer or the watcher, yes, um, or the reader, right? So, in a novel, the novelist is not by him or herself. The novelist is a participant in a, a pair of two people, right? Mm-hmm. The person who wrote it and the person who's reading it, and mm-hmm. they both bring things to the table. Yeah. There's yeah. a there's no question in my mind that this is a very powerful and I, it's one of my favorites of Shakespeare's. I haven't read everything, mm. but you know Julius Caesar's it's dramatic, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's it's got powerful speeches and stuff. Uh but this one it has a blend of comedy. Um and I, I, one of the one of the things I was I was thinking about ways people play Prospero. Um sometimes you could play him as kind of a daughterer. Um, and I think that's a mistake. Um, you could play him straight, which I think he's he's not wholly arch, but he should be knowing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he, but he's also unknowing in the sense that he has made a mistake and he doesn't want to admit it. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a it's a rich character um, for someone to play. But if you if you like sometimes uh, I would see like little touches like Ariel is supposed to do something to make the sword move, you know, or not move. Um, and, uh, Prospero's got his magic wand or staff, um, or her magic wand or staff and is directing Ariel who's invisible, right? So this is inherently funny for the audience, right? But those are not written lines. So there's a, a great temptation. Um, to ham up things that are serious and to, you know, make meat of everything that you're, uh, everything that you're given. But it can, 
it's really obvious sometimes when Shakespeare's trying to be funny, and sometimes it's less less so. So in the you know the fumbling ar- around under the gabardine, the stinky fish with lesser legs, that that's all comedy. Uh, these are standard sort of Shakespearean scenes where you've got two two uh, lesser men <laughs> in the play, mm-hmm. um, drunken around or making. Funny comments as a comic relief, but here I don't think that it is um, it is wholly without humor in most of the places. But the but the Ariel is so obvious. Like in one of the versions I saw, Ariel is accompanied by many many other spirits. Ariel's the only one gets speak, right? The other spirits sort of just help put the other men to sleep. Right. Rather. And so it's like, well, that's not in the play, but making Ariel's role so meaty, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a, you should pick a young person who's very flexible so they can run around and duck under things and, right. But, mm-hmm. uh, if you do it like you did in, um, if you do it like, uh, uh, he's a robot, a servant. And one of the things they do, by the way, Scott, in Forbidden Planet is, mm-hmm. uh, he asks the captain, Leslie Nielsen, for his gun. And he shows, you know, uh, the robot. And he says, point, shoot that thing over there out in the garden, right? And the robot shoots. And then he says, now point your gun at the captain right between his eyes. Now pull the trigger, right? And the other, uh, the other landing crew are like, oh my God, he's going to attack our captain. Um, and the robot can't pull the trigger because it's programmed not to, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that is Ariel in a certain sense. He's running around doing the captain's, uh, doing Prospero's business, but Caliban is wholly invisible and full of anger. It's an invisible monster, right? That is, uh, is in love with the Miranda on the planet. Um, it is a force left over from, from this ancient race that was on this planet. It's like the Sycorax-like force, right? So mm-hmm. in one way of reading, what Prospero was doing before he came to the island was uh, studying um, what he uh, he calls it liberal arts or something, I think, early on, right? Um, maybe it's not liberal arts, but it's something like that early on. And then we get his story of... Uh, how he brought the girl to the island and how she was smiling and that made everything fine. And some nice guy gave him lots of luxuries and food and water. So they are okay. But what we don't hear is the relationship between Prospero and Sycorax, which I think is possible that she was there. No, well, we, that's certainly not in the text. That's not in the text. But think of the powers that he has at his command here on this island. Did he just finally finish, graduate to wizarding school? We know she was a witch because he tells us so. But his magic is good. And this is like the twin thing that's always happening in this play and many other plays you see by Shakespeare. But this one specifically, Prospero has his brother. Or if it's gender swapped, his uh, sister, the sister has her brother, right? Um, there's Caliban mirrored by, uh, uh, Ariel, right? Uh, one's good, 
a good servant and doesn't complain very much, and the other's a bad servant and always complains. One has the power over all the air and the water and electricity, it seems, and the other, he chops wood. He's the power of the land. But what knowledge did he have? He had the knowledge of the land. He knew where everything was. And it's almost like uh, he's he's stolen a kingdom in the way that uh, he claims his brother has stolen his. So uh, it's it's very easy to make a, Let's do an interpretation. We'll put on a play of this. And then I think you just like... It's, it's when you, if you say, uh, he was evil from the start, like with, uh, Macbeth, that's just not evidence in the text. Unless you're reading it as like, oh, this is, this is me pretending to be not evil. <laughs> but that's not clear, right? When he says, I see a dagger before me, he, it, I always say, that's a cross, bud. Mm-hmm. It's not a dagger. As God saying, don't do this thing. Think mm. of your Jesus. <laughs> and he's, no, no, no. Dagger. Dagger, dagger, dagger. <laughs> <laughs> well, people do get fixated on the interpretations that That's they right. want. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's, what's so cool is when Shakespeare would be doing it, right? The, we, we hear about the props. The props are the new clothes. Don't my clothes look just like they haven't been wet. Oh my mm-hmm. God, they look just like they haven't ever been worn. In fact, they smell new and fresh. That's the props, right? There's no, there's, you know, a minimalistic interpretation of the play has like three clumps of wood that somebody right. has well, to carry if around. If you have, you know, a nice wardrobe of fine silks and velvets, you don't want to damage them with seawater for verisimilitude. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, we do hear at the beginning, enter. Uh, Mariner's wet, but um, they also don't show up in the play, right? They stay on the mm-hmm. ship asleep, conveniently asleep. So, mm-hmm. wonderful, wonderful play. Yep. We can mine it yep. forever. <laughs> I, I recommend it. So, yeah, so on to As You Like It for me. All right. Um, I, I don't remember yeah, reading I've got that this one. Book, this book by uh, Joe Walton. Has anybody read it? Have you read it, no. um, Trish? No, I've read some others by Joe Walton, but I haven't read this one yet. Okay. What's it called? Yeah, and, and at the opening, um, Fabian from Twelfth Night is is uh, quoted. If I, if this were played upon a stage now, I could condemn it as an improbable fiction. <laughs> so. What's the title, Scott? Or what you will. Or what? Or what you will. Right. There it is. Now, when she says it's a novel, <laughs> mm-hmm. is it actually a novel? Because last time I read one of her novels, it was it was it was a book reviews. <laughs> really? Oh, you probably read. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, well, you read like the informal history of the Hugo's, or no? It was it was a it was a novel about a girl oh, reading a whole bunch of novels among others among, among others. others probably. Yeah. Yeah. That was a novel. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> There was a bunch of books mentioned in it, but it was a novel. No, it was mostly, a, it was like what I've been reading. And then yeah. there's like a walk down the street, <clears throat> back row, but then I read this book. And mm. I had no problem with it being uh, uh, what it was, but I'm just saying yeah. that was not really, uh, it's, uh, you know, like, um, <laughs> right. it was not really a novel. It was something else. Yeah. 
So I have um, on the on the cover copy. It says he has been too many things to count. He has been a dragon with a boy on his back. He has been a scholar, a warrior, a lover, and a thief. He has been dream and dreamer. He has been a god. But he, in quotes, is in fact nothing more than the spark of an idea, a character in the mind of Sylvia Harrison, 73, award-winning author of 30 novels over 40 years. He has played a part in most of those novels, and in the recesses of her mind, Sylvia has conversed with him for years. Mm. But Sylvia won't live forever, any more than any human does. And he's trapped inside her cave of bone, her hollow of skull. When she dies, so will he. Now Sylvia is starting a new novel, a fantasy for adult readers, set in Thalia, the Florence resembling imaginary city that was the setting for a successful trilogy she published decades earlier. Of course he's got a part in it, but he also has a notion. He thinks he knows how he and Sylvia can step off the wheel of mortality altogether. All he has to do is convince her. So the uh, origins for this book on Wikipedia it says Walton has described this novel's origins as including a visit to Florence at the invitation of Ada Palmer, a panel at a science confi- science fiction convention in which James D. McDonald described having a repertory theater of characters in his head, and an overall dissatisfaction with the endings of The Tempest and Twelfth Night. There it is. Yeah. So it's so, Twelfth Night that I need to move on to, not <laughs> As You Like yeah, It. Yeah, which I have read. But I, it seems to me that As You Like It was part of it, too. So oh, or, no, that right may have been in a review I read or something. So hmm. I'll do both. Because hmm. uh, I'm on a I'm on a Shakespeare kick anyway. It's <laughs> a good thing to be on. So before this, um, let's see. I of course with in school studied Romeo and Juliet Juliet in tenth mm-hmm. through eleventh grade. Mm-hmm. Studied Julius Caesar in eleventh through twelfth grade. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, the Shakespeare I had encountered the most was Much Ado About Nothing. For Which some reason, good. you know, I've seen uh, these two movies about it. I've seen plays I think four times. Um, uh, my favorite play was a gender swapped. Uh, every part was gender swapped. Wow. Um, and, uh, it was a summer, um, community theater. Uh, nice. and, and I, you know, I don't know if they just had a lot more women <laughs> in the community <laughs> theater, Could be, than yeah. men, but, um, but it was really interesting, you know, how the dynamics changed and, uh, you know, the, the, the male people were the fragile emotional ones who <laughs> had to be protected. And that reminded me of, uh, Catherine Asaro's, um, book, The Last Hawk, in which, um, a spaceman crash lands in, at a, matriarchal society um another star trek episode (laughs) (laughs) right right Mm. um so so yeah i'm i'm really i've really enjoyed diving into the tempest this week i'm really happy to have had the opportunity to do that and uh discuss that with you guys is this the first time you've uh read it you for doing it i don't know i certainly knew the I was familiar with the plot, but if I have actually read the play before, it would have been so long ago that, mm. you know, it's yeah, vanished it's, in the midst of it's time. It's fairly easy to get familiar with them, you know, most of them. Uh, you know, the Henry's, the <laughs> those ones maybe not so much, but uh, the history's not so much. But his comedies and uh, his, you know, major tragedies are so iconic. We see the characters in all sorts of other stuff, but... He's just, he's just a tremendous, <laughs> uh, I mean, 
it, it, even saying, you know, he's, he's very important is kind of funny because that, that's sort of underplaying it. 400 years ago, a guy wrote some stuff and we're still excited <laughs> so, about it. Yeah. I just chuckled because I just looked up Twelfth Night mm-hmm. and it's called Twelfth Night, comma, or what you will. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So there's the title of Joe yeah. Walton's book. Yeah. So it's definitely Twelfth Night I need to get into. Mm-hmm. That's a Christmas one. Hmm. Yep, I know nothing about that one. Uh, yeah, I'm really familiar with uh, Julius a, Caesar, Hamlet. Uh, um, I think it's a gender Romeo swap and Juliet. One where I think Twelfth Night is. I think there's a a character. If I'm remembering this right, there's a guy who falls in love with his servant boy, who's actually a girl. Hmm. Which is it's it's uh, sort of a a thing that you would also have with yeah. you know all these Juliet. Well, a lot She's of the so comedies sexy, have right? gender swapped. Yeah, uh, you know, people yes. playing men playing women and women playing men. It is. I I believe it is. Twelfth Night is a comedy. It's been a long time since I've I've. Yeah. Thought it about says that it's one. a romantic comedy. Yeah. It says the play centers around the twins Viola and Sebastian who are separated in a shipwreck. Viola, oh. who is disguised as Cesario. Yes. Falls in love with Duke Orsino, who in turn is in love with Countess Olivia. Upon meeting Viola, Countess Olivia falls in love with her, thinking she is a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Everybody, it ends in a marriage, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Says um, the play expanded on the musical interludes and riotous disorder expected of the occasion. And I think the occasion is Twelfth Night is part of the Christmas holiday. Mm-hmm. It's the yes. close of the Christmas season. Yes, it is. So right. I wanted to uh one thing we never touched on, which I just want to hit before we lose Trish. Um uh, I think the play that by Shakespeare that this is most like is actually Midsummer's Night's Dream. Sure. Which is one we never we never talked about, and that's because of all the fairy uh aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um but I like this one way more. I think Midsummer's Night's Dream is way more popular than The Tempest in a certain sense. I think people like puck and they like uh all the it's sort of it's it's like all comedy all the time um and then you got the fairy queen sort of oberon and what's her name galadriel (laughs) 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 um but but i i I think this one's uh you know having that that uh uh, caliban on stage at all is just amazing Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I I tend to agree with you, Jesse. I've seen you know quite a few versions of Midsummer's Night's Dream, and but I've never really felt the the uh, uh, the desire to dive into analysis on that one the way I have mm. on this one. I think that one makes a lot more sense in a time when there's birth control, whereas <laughs> this one makes uh, a lot more sense in Shakespeare's time because <laughs> that one it's like fairyland, right? It's 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 literally not. It's it's the opposite of fantasy. Uh, it it can't be translated into a science fiction, I don't think. Whereas this one obviously has been right Tra- translated. Oh, you into could a make a holodeck fiction. adventure of it, but <laughs> yes, you could. I guess you but, could. Uh, you know, I just it it's it just doesn't have as much meat to it as that's not one concerned. Picard would put on though, right? <laughs> he always puts on the serious ones. He never puts on the fun, the fun one. Well, he has his detective adventures. No, no, I mean when he's directing Shakespeare on the holodeck with Data playing oh, all, oh, the, all okay, the roles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to teach him how to be human by showing him Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm. 
All right. Oh, Merchant of fun. Venice. You're best in the original Klingon. There you go. <laughs> Merchant of Venice yes. would be a good one yes. to do at some point. <laughs> Othello. You know, there's so many great, great, great Shakespeare plays. I hope we do more in future. Sure. Oh, cool. I'd be happy. I'd always be in. Well, uh, if you're d- going to do yours, Scott, we will have to uh, make it fit this in the schedule if we want to do mm-hmm. yours. You want to do Twelfth Night? If we did it, we have to make it fit the schedule, and you might be in too much of a hurry to to get. No, to, uh, I'm not. I'm not in too much of a hurry. Right, I've got well, other. I've got other books to read. <laughs> you book. You book. You book the date. You can fit it in, and we can do it. Okay. Okay, I'll look at it. it. Since it's Christmas, let's do it around Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know means, it won't. It won't post at that no, time. No, it'll come out in the fun summer. to read it at that time. <laughs> Would you be in, Trish? Sure. Um. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So twelfth night sometime in December. I'll I'll find a time for it. All right. I'm looking cool. forward to that. Awesome. Um Trish, I know you're a little over your time, but I wanted to um uh, I need to talk to Scott about what things I need to send to him. Sure, well. sure. So okay. We'll, we'll, well it's been want, fun, it's guys. Be... I uh really enjoyed this discussion. Um, thanks yes, for having me on. Same. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you take care. Bye. Great. Bye bye. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Yeah. I'm in the middle of a lot of things still trying to catch up. Sure. Uh, oh, you can't believe it. It's crazy. And speaking of which, Scott, I, I need you to book about two weeks off to try and tackle this PDF problem. <laughs> I don't I know how to fix it. Yeah. Okay. It does appear to be building a very small file, so I think we're ready to start. Um, Excellent. Will, if you are recording using the same software as I... Mm-hmm. Um, you probably want to restart yours. And uh, Trish, what software do you use? I've got Total Recorder doing okay. all the voices on the call, all and right. I'm using uh, Audacity just to record my oh, own voice. Okay, cool. Um, the reason I uh, mentioned uh, MP3 Skype Recorder is there's a known issue. I know about it. Um, if Eric starts a recording before I do, or after I do, it breaks my file for some reason. Which is bad. So I okay. I just turned mine off and turned it back on. That'll work. All right, here we go. Um, Jesse, uh, (laughs) Scott, uh, Trish. Is that right? I don't remember whether I'm before or after Will. Oh, okay. Uh, Will, do you remember? Uh, I don't care. Okay, we'll just go with Will at the end. Okay. Yeah, that's fine with me. All right, here we go. Will, did you do your homework? Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I I thought you were going Mad Max festing, and uh, oh, I did. Escape from uh, New York. The, these are supplementary uh, extra credit home assignments. They're all going to tie in, right? One one sec. Let me. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I I forgot what day we were doing this, and so I'm I'm actually not in the right location. Okay. Let me get into my uh, Let me get into my office. All right. Are you in the right city? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, good. Or Naples. <laughs> Okay. Excellent. Yeah, you haven't been on Twitter at all, have you? 
Me? Yeah. No. When was the last time you checked? Check to see how last many time DMs. I checked the feed. Um, I, I get on Twitter at work. Um, oh, okay. So what I use it for is like the health department and stuff. Okay. Keeping up with um, news I need for work. Yeah, no, there's definitely uh, like I check but to I, see I, if I my haven't looked at working. the feed for okay. years. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like years. <laughs> at least a year. It's um, been a year. Seriously. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, so when I call up tweet Twitter, I go to mm-hmm. t- I use TweetDeck, mm-hmm. and I don't even have the feed as one of my columns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see yeah. that. I barely yeah, have. I got that's one of mine, Utah, but it's not very important. <laughs> Utah coronavirus, Bear River Health, Spencer J. Cox, who's the governor, and then Higher Ed Utah to see and, what they're uh, saying. Well, to see sometimes it goes there before they tell us things. Yeah, yeah. which is difficult. Yeah, because the, the first time that be. happened, it was during <laughs> coronavirus. I was looking at Twitter, and it was Friday at about four o'clock, uh-huh. and we were all getting ready to leave. And I was like, uh, "The governor just said something that <laughs> we're going to have to deal with." And sure as hell, we spent the weekend dealing with oh, what? No. Yeah, it was a coronavirus change. It was like, you know, for for a few times. It actually happened, I think, three times, where about 4 o'clock on a Friday, he did something major that we had to deal with. What an asshole. Always saving up I know, for the Friday. I know, And it was during corona. That's the not even wise. Of over in March and stuff, last March and April and May. He's getting he's he's getting no blowback from from the people who don't care, which uh, right. everybody should yeah. care, right? And yeah. and yeah. he's specifically pissing off a bunch of people who have to, like, administer his... That, that's really stupid. I know it was horrible. He's no longer the governor. But <laughs> he, he didn't run. So, oh, hey, hey, um, I lost Scott. I think. Oh, Scott, it. I don't know what happened. I'm gonna try and call you back from the other call if I can, because all uh, right, I, I, will... I was calling a bunch of people. I'll call you. Sure, just I'll hang in, hang in there. Sorry about that, Trish. No problem. Trish uh, called in, but it was not the right call. Uh, it was, okay. a, I don't know, f- blame Skype, okay? <laughs> All right, so where's Those Trish? Skypes. Trish. All right, there we go. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that'll work. What happened? To, uh, Evan's not in the call. Okay, maybe he's, maybe he didn't do his, his homework prep. 42 minutes ago, what did he say? Okay. All right. Okay. Did we get Trish back? I'm here. Okay, good. Hello, Trish. Hello. All right. And then we're waiting for Will to get into his office. Okay. And I don't know where Evan is, but um, he's worried about whatever's going on in Taiwan. Mm. Hey Trish, did I do I remember right? You were planning on going to Worldcon. That's correct. Okay, I thought so. I yep. just yesterday um, remember I said I had a conference in that same hotel in October. Mm-hmm. It was just canceled. Oh, so very sad. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. that's a bummer. Um, the the hotel is beautiful. You're gonna love mm-hmm. it. Hopefully, all goes well and they. But 
this was a government thing. So I think that um, it was canceled right uh, after Biden's uh, speech. Hello. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> hey, Will. So, yeah. So I don't know if they're responding to what they see as a directive there or what, but it was a National Science Foundation conference. Sad story. But hopefully uh, the Hugos or the Worldcon just moves forward. I don't know. And yeah, hopefully. I honey. think they're going to, they're, they're requiring vaccination and all that stuff. So yes. I don't, hopefully it'll just go. There's yeah, some... proof of vaccination. I forget the exact format, but they, mm-hmm. they are definitely uh, as safe as one can be and still have a conference. <laughs> right, right. Unless everyone has to wear like a six foot diameter circle, a hula hoop or something. <laughs> right. Everybody well, gets in the hamster bubbles. Masks hamster bubbles. Hamster bubbles, yeah. Spaces. <laughs> For sure. How am I going to pull all the, yeah. all the pulp magazines if I'm in a hamster mm-hmm. bubble? Yeah. Hey, we need to tell Paul that while he was gone, I recorded 157 podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's still gone. I know he is, yeah. yeah. Um, I put in the chat because you're not on, on the main Twitter feed, and I don't think I sent it to you. Maybe I did. Um, my uh, drawing from yesterday. and I also, Oh, yeah, you did send me your okay, drawing. Yep. Good. I also yep. put in uh, the full text of the play. And um, I'm going to bring up the Wikipedia entry, too. The Tempest, which has a brief, very brief appearance at the beginning, huh? Yeah. Or does it? Save it for the podcast. Or does it? Or does it? (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I can't forget Get an echo from somebody. That's probably Scott. Sorry, that was me. It yep. should be back. Scott's mic I just is had to not hooked up to his pick something speakers. up, or took his speakers, took his headphones off and put them near his speakers or something. I don't know. Yeah, I took my, I unplugged the headphones so I could reach back and grab a book. Good, I'll allow it. <laughs> I have a copy of the Tempest um, that I got at the thrift shop. It smells like cigarette smoke. Excellent. It was a buck. <laughs> yeah, I was a little late because I was looking for my tablet, which I've misplaced, which I had the text on. So, uh-huh. and I can't find it, so I had to pull uh-huh. out my Riverside Shakespeare. <laughs> oh, I've got that too. Turn to page sixteen hundred and six. Wow. <laughs> I've got it. I don't have it open, at, um, but I, I was reading from it. I have the the older one. It's it's like a kind of a maroon color with a kind of a tapestry or something picture of it. Do you have uh, version one or version two edition um, one or edition two? Let me see. It doesn't say version one or version two. So they may indicate that it's number one. Uh, yeah. And copyright se- 1974. Yeah. It's gotta be a one. It's gotta be a one. Yeah. Cool. I don't know what, any the differences same, would same be one I have. probably um, updated. I, I think that in the second right? edition there are some more versions of things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just looking at the notes in the actual play of this used book, and uh, they're hilarious. The person 
who um, previously owned this book and perhaps was a smoker, um, <laughs> has uh, opinions that are hilarious. Hilariously incorrect. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's also, uh, like, everyone I'm looking at is like, no. <laughs> Uh, uh, the first one was correct. It's like these are these are sailors, mariners are sailors. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. bringing up the rape. Oh my god, Prospero is often put in this spot. Is it Miranda's? Hey, save it for the podcast. Mirandora, <laughs> Mirandora. Hey, Prospero. Hey, don't make police. Don't make me be a cop. All right. <laughs> uh, awesome. I don't know. We want to have all the bad takes in here, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where Evan is. I, I assume he just uh, uh, didn't get all the materials and is expecting it to be tomorrow. Or hung over. Could be hung over. Could be at the bar right now still. Even though he could have just mistaken the time again. Yeah, it's possible. That's what I did. But fortunately, I was have already read this book. Excellent. So. <laughs> I wanted this to. This is only week two of Paul being gone. No, no, it's uh, oh. third week. I uh, know. Okay. You're right. It is. I'm, I'm looking at the schedule. Yeah, so he's yeah. gone. That's a nice long trip for him. That's cool. Yeah, it, it, it takes a month to go just drive around. Following his fantastic. See, there's a reason you uh, you need to follow his play by play to see all, all the sad sorrows that are happening. <laughs> um, I, I think did, I mentioned you, the pizza. Yeah, you did let me know about the tire, and I, I oh the up tire, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was terrible. But he's still tweeting away about the New York Times opinion page. Is he? Yep. Oh my! I'm looking at it right now. What's he yeah. saying? Uh, the fuck? Question mark? Oh. Exclamation point. <laughs> okay. Uh, and another one. And another one. Wow! Another one? What's happening? Yeah. Oh, it's it's uh, New York Times is um it's they're celebrating Patriots Day. Somebody started calling it. I'm like, what? Uh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he's got a picture of some clam chowder. Oh, is that? There was a really. Fun he's not here, but it's like he's here. <laughs> it is. It's like he's here. Yeah. Ghost of Paul is here. Um, yeah, I saw that he got to go to In and Out for the first oh, time yeah. in years. Yeah, he was happy. That was yeah. that was what stood out to me. <laughs> They're building an In and Out here in my town. Lovely Logan, Utah, is getting an In and Out burger. Nice. Um, I saw uh, one of the funny takes uh, from, I think it was yesterday, the day, the day before, maybe I sent it to Will, um, was, uh, it was a book of cartoons, uh, like political cartoons after 9-11. So they oh, collected, the... <laughs> they collected <laughs> yeah. them all together and and one of them, uh, or maybe it wasn't a political, yeah, I think it was. I think it was a political cartoon. And it editorial was like, cartoon. Yeah, yeah, ed- editorial cartoon. Um, and it was like, Giuliani is the leader of us all. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Um, oh, but he was America's mayor. Oh, back yeah, then. yeah, exactly. So this is what, what you do is you, you have some guy who, who's there and has a microphone and then you say, he's the greatest man ever. And then you know, just keep telling him that for 25 years and, or 20 years and uh, everything will be work out fine. Yeah, he turns into a vampire. Um, (laughs) Uh, This is hilarious. I'm still looking through Paul's feed. Yeah. And he retweeted a thing where someone tweeted, it would take Socrates about 10 minutes to get canceled at a modern university. 
And then somebody responded, not like back in Athens where they'd never have canceled Socrates. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Oh, that's that's awesome. Oh, New York Times opinion. (laughs) Abortion is a failure for every woman and her unborn child. A failure of love and justice and mercy. Karen Swallow Pryor. Okay. So, just writing about uh, abortion will make people upset. Speaking of which... I'm mm-hmm. thinking um, we need to do a show on Philip K. Dick's uh, abortion story. Um, it's called The Crawlers. It's a really The strange. Crawlers. Yeah. I was telling Evan he needed to record an audiobook of it since he's good at recording audiobooks, and it's a Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick story. It's a very strange story. Very strange. Is it in the public domain? It is, although, you know, most people don't acknowledge it. I tweeted out the proof showing the fraud, etc. I, I, I'm confident. Yep. Um, other than that, I don't think... Uh, is there any other uh, Paul um, tweets we need to uh, tackle? What? No, not that I know of. What's that? It was a really funny Lovecraft He decided against line uh, yeah. at Voodoo Donuts, though. I've heard of Voodoo Donuts. I think I... He, I think has, I a, he has a photo here of a very long line to get into Voodoo Donuts. Yeah. And he said, negatory, I'm moving on. I think, is that your mouse, Scott? Uh, is what, my mouse? That, this? Yep. That? Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, we won't be using Hold that. Hold on. <laughs> Fixing it. Fixing it. Well, there, tie right your back. hands behind your back for the entire no, I am, podcast. I'm, I've got a mouse during the show, and I have to. Nope. But it's better. I fixed it. I put the thing under it. But that's not much better. However, however, it's not ruinous. So, just, just have the entire play committed to memory. Okay, got it. And, uh, you know, don't, if the room catches on fire, do not react. Just say, this okay. is fine. Sounds good. It's fine, it's like fine. the dog. That's exactly right. It's fine. This is fine. Cool. I'm going to, if we, if we're still going then, I'm going to duck out a little before one. Oh, what, uh, what, how many hours is that for now? <laughs> two hours. Two hours. Okay, I think we'll be probably perfect at one. Let's get started, shall we? Let's yep. do. All right. Uh, if Evan comes in later, whatever. I'm going to look for a recorder. I've got mine on. Okay. Okay, so I will, I will not worry about it. Oh, mine's not working. Mine's broken. Um, no, no, don't, don't not worry. Okay, Stop. I'm so worried. And I'll oh, that helps. Right Thank now. you. I appreciate Hold it. Hold on. <laughs> Lots and prayers for your recorder, Jesse. <laughs> there. I'll I got to control uh, the lead mic. Uh, fix it. I'm doing the Skype recording. All right. Oh, stinky book. Fuck, I just go. put my hands out of it up to my face. Fucking terrible. <laughs> Note to self by Jesse and